Thanks, team. That was really beautiful. Yeah, you can go ahead and give them a round of applause. That was really beautiful. Well, my name is Beth, and welcome to South Bend City Church. Whether you are new here or you're here every week, we're so honored that you're here with us. And we have a very special part of our community with us this morning. We've got K through fifth graders with us. If you're in K through fifth grade, would you give us a little wave? Yeah? We feel the energy and the excitement, and it could be about church, or it could be about costumes and candy, or maybe celebrating Dia de los Muertos tomorrow with your classmates. But either way, we are really glad that we have our K through fifth graders here with us this morning. We are continuing in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and so we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago because we've been um, talking about some church business as well as last week we paused to talk about giving. Now, if you are anything like me and you show up in church and you hear that we're talking about giving, you are like, uh, where is the exit, right? <laughs> um, because sometimes these messages don't always go so well. They feel a little cringy or it's easy to do an eye roll. And I just want to encourage you, if that's been your experience, go back and listen to last week. It actually was a really healthy perspective on what it looks like for us to be generous in our lives, with our lives, outside, beyond these walls, like beyond our life together as a faith community. Um, and so it was a healthy perspective. It was also a pretty subversive approach. So if you are the kind of person who kind of likes to push the envelope, I think you'll actually really enjoy listening to last week. Um, before we dive in, I just want to share a little story. I was in Southern California this past week, and it was all the lovely things you think Southern California would be, right? It was warm and sunny. Um, I got to take a walk outside with a dear friend, even though I was there for a work retreat, so I did a lot of work as well. And the last night in California, I um, moved to a different hotel to be close to the airport for an early morning flight. And as I'm um, walking into the hotel, I'm kind of giving myself a pep talk. The sun's going down that night, and I know in the morning... I'm heading back home. But um, we get to this point at home here in Indiana, and we know that we are about to round the corner to the long road of winter, right? Um, and for those of us who've lived here for a while, we know that's just part of our rhythm. Uh, fall quickly turns into winter around this time of year. Um, it's football weather. We love that. Thank you for all of you making it here this morning after last night's late game, Notre Dame. Um, so we're really grateful. But I was thinking, okay, I got to psych myself up to go back home. And the front desk attendant, I hand her my license, and she looks at it, and, she's, and her eyes light up. And she's like, you're from Indiana? She's like, I have, my best friend lives in Fort Wayne, and I've never been there, and I can't wait to go someday soon. I'm hoping to go in the next few weeks. And I just chuckled because I was thinking, oh, she has no idea what she's in for, right? <laughs> but it was like, it was such a great moment to see somebody else's eyes light up about winter in Indiana, that she just is so excited. And I think it speaks to the warmth of our community, right? We, we go places um, in weather that we would not choose because of our people, right? because of the people that we love. Um, I have a quick question for you. How many of you have ever had to change plans in life because someone went back on their word? Like show of hands or head nods. Yeah, quite a few of us in this room. Quite a few of us. Um, well, a few years ago, about seven years ago, my husband and I were in this kind of situation where my husband was on staff at a church on the East Coast. We're originally from the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, Philadelphia area. 
And he was um, on staff at a church. I was working for a consulting firm. My background is consulting and storytelling. And we had a good life in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, but Matt also spent a fair amount of time connecting with pastors from all over the U.S. for encouragement, for idea sharing, um, just talking through what's working well, what's not working well in the life of the church as a whole. And so Matt received a call one day, and it was from one of his pastor friends in one of these groups that he was connecting with, and they were calling from the West Coast, from Southern California, and they said, hey, we have an opening, and it has your name on it, and we'd love for you to join us. No, you guys, we loved where we were, but we were also so excited about this opportunity because the impetus for this, the reason why Matt was called and asked to come join staff of a church in Southern California was because the leader of this church announced that he was about to retire. And so everyone around him was scrambling to fill in some leadership spots. Um, and so we got to be a part of that because they were building a transition team, a succession team for when this leader stepped down, then there was gonna be a little bit more of a collaborative approach to what came next for that church. And we, were, we loved where we were, we loved the people where we were, but we were really excited about this opportunity. So we moved to the West Coast. Um, shortly after we moved there, they invite me on staff as well, which was a little bit of a shock. And then um, we get called to a special staff meeting. We've lived in California two years at this point. Matt and I are both sitting in the same room of the staff meeting, but we're at opposite ends because it's a big staff team and he's sitting with his team, I'm sitting with my team. And the leader of this community gets up and says, you know what guys, I know I said I was retiring, but I'm actually not going to. Like, I think I'm gonna stick it out. And then he rattled off, like, if so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, -and -so, if they can lead into their 70s and 80s and 90s, I can too. And there was a clap because this was a beloved pastor, is a beloved pastor. But this was a game changer for Matt and I, right? Because what we said yes to was different than our current reality, right? Our current reality was now different than our preferred reality. We loved this person but we were also really excited about life in this church beyond this person's leadership. Um, and so we probably shot each other a text, like, we need to talk, right? Um, because we just moved our kids to the West Coast um, when they were nine and 11, so the end of fourth and fifth grade, and that was a really hard challenge for them. And here, uh, this spot we were gonna be in forever, like the dynamics had now changed because someone went back on their word, which is something we all do all the time. So Matt and I thought about it, we prayed about it. I stepped down from staff because it was easy for me to go back into the leadership and consulting work I was doing prior to that, and I really loved that work. Um, and our life was a little crazy with both of us being on staff at a church together. And Matt continued to be on staff, and we really started to pray about what comes next, because we didn't just wanna run from something, we wanted to run to something. And if you've heard me teach on occasion here before, you know I've used that language before. And I think it's actually a both and. Like we can be running from something and we can be running to something, but it's really important that, we're, that we make sure we're not just running from something. Um, so we were there for a total of four years. At the end of the four-year um, time period, the opportunity for us to move to South Bend opened up, and we realized South Bend is what we get to run to. We got to run to South Bend and this community, and we're so grateful. Now, I'm sure a lot of you can identify with that, right? Stepping into a new job 
where you think, oh, this is the leader I'm working with, or this is the team I'm working with, or this is the company I'm working with, and then a couple weeks or months or years down the road, so that changes, right? Your company gets bought out, your leader changes, your team changes. Sometimes it's by choice, sometimes it's not by choice. I think it happens in our relationships, right? I'd be willing to bet that there are a few of us who thought we were gonna spend the rest of our lives with one particular person, whether in marriage or in partnership, only to find out that that person changed their mind. They had other plans. They went back on their word, right? I think this happens even for us when we're a part of a team. Uh, sometimes we join a team because we're super jazzed to be with a coach or to be with certain team members or play in a particular league or be a part of a philosophy of this team that we're on and something changes. I'm pretty sure we can all think of situations where we had a massive change in plans because someone went back on their word. When we go back on our word, it has a tendency to have a ripple effect for the relationships in our lives, right? You know, even in the California situation, I think if my kids were here this morning, they would be like, well, you went back on your word. You said we were staying there forever, right? So it has a ripple effect. A change in plans going back on our word has a ripple effect in our relationships. Today we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we are talking about Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's where we're at as a church right now. And it's important to understand that Matthew is retelling the story of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is retelling the story 60 years after Jesus actually gave the Sermon on the Mount. And think about it, if you are um, 65 or older, if you were to tell a story about what happened to you 60 years ago, you would remember the essence of that story, right? You would remember the important things that were said and shared, but you'd also be very mindful of your audience listening today. And you'd be mindful that the way that you are telling that story connects with your audience. So Matthew's audience, they were first century Jews. And most of them were middle class, or like Jesus, lower class, peasant class. They had lived under Roman occupation, right? So they were a society that had been impressed and enslaved and occupied. And there were Jewish religious leaders of the day who were tying, trying to toe this line between following religious rule and religious tradition and also survival under Roman rule. And so what happens in that kind of environment where you're trying to blend um, different beliefs or traditions? There's, uh, po there are political alliances, right? There's a little bit of mistrust. There's some corruption that tends to happen. And so these are the people that Matthew is writing to, and these are the people that Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount to. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, there's good news. And these people who are oppressed and occupied and enslaved, and they're saying, there's good news. Like, show me. I want to see what this good news is that you're talking about. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us the Beatitudes where he talks about, hey, this, this uh, phrase, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, this actually means God's life lived in the life of us, lived in the life of these first century Jews. So blessed are the poor 
and blessed are the meek. And he's essentially saying like, all the people who are at the bottom of our society right now, they are top priority in God's life lived in us. They are top priority. This is a radical idea for these people who are listening to this sermon, right? Then he goes on, Jesus goes on to talk about what it means for us to be salt in the world. And I, I'm saying we, collectively, these first, his first century Jewish audience, as well as for us today, because I think that these truths translate for us today. So he talks about salt, and he talks about what does it mean for us to be light, to bring hope to darkness. And then Jesus talks about himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And at this point, minds are blown, right? Because Jesus is saying, hey, I, am, I haven't come to abolish all the laws and the commandments that you've been following. I've actually come to fulfill them. And this is a really hard concept for these people to wrap their minds around. And then Jesus moves into what I kind of call a code of conduct, where he talks about human issues, and he talks about a way of living as it relates to things like murder and reconciliation and adultery and lust and divorce and taking oaths and revenge and loving our enemies. Uh, side note, I just want to say that I think for a fair amount of us who grew up in faith communities um, where the Sermon on the Mount was preached, this sort of section on this code of conduct has been used as a heavy-handed set of rules to tell us exactly what to do and what not to do, and to shame us sometimes into making the right choices. But I don't think that's what Jesus was actually doing here. I think Jesus was actually giving us a way of wisdom. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, Jesus was actually saying, hey, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God we're talking about, it's God's life lived in God's life and all of us. And that's the good news. So we pick up today in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37, where Jesus says, Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one, or some translations say comes from evil. And so I think the first big idea that Jesus is getting at here is like oaths versus truth. And there's a little bit of a difference. But I also think it's important that any time we hear the Old Testament being quoted in the New Testament, that it's really helpful for us to, to um, ask ourselves what was happening the first time these words appeared in the Bible. So Jesus quotes um, actually a verse from Numbers, which is in the Old Testament called the Torah of, of the Bible. Um, and this is what Numbers 31 through 2 says. Moses said to the heads of the tribe of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So when Moses is saying these things, the Israelites are um, coming to the end of their wilderness experience, and they're about to head into a promised land kind of society, 
right? So they're going to establish their society and they're establishing governance. And Moses is reminding them, um, the ancient Israelites, he's reminding them of the laws and the commandments that they already know. And one of those laws is to, is to uh, take an oath, make an oath to the Lord, right? And then Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus says, actually, you don't have to take an oath anymore. You just need to simply tell the truth. Now, first century Jews, they were used to living by the ancient wisdom found in the Torah, in the Old Testament, in Numbers. They were used to taking oaths as a way to honor God and honor one another. But what happened, as so often does, um, when we insert our human ten tendencies, um, those oaths actually became a way of forming alliances. Those oaths actually became um, a sense of mistrust, distrust for a lot of people. They're like, oh, you're making me swear an oath, make a vow, like something else is going on here, right? You are either um, locking me into something that you are going to coerce me on, believing or thinking or doing, or you are making me take an oath as a way to lie, right? So this is, this is what's happening. And you know, Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day, they were part of this corruption in society. And I think it was probably self-preservation. Like think about how many times we haven't told the full truth. or We've lied to get our own way, right? Often this comes from this idea of self-preservation. And so when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, just be, just simply tell the truth, it's pretty radical. I'm just curious, a quick open floor question. We like to do an open floor here at South Bend City Church where we ask a question, call out an answer. Um, what kind of oaths or promises or vows do we tend to take today, like in our customs and traditions? Financial. Financial. Right? We make financial oaths. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Marriage. Marriage. Yes. Marriage. Anything else? Adoption. Yes. Yes. Adoption. Divorce. Yeah. Divorce. What's that? Breakup. Yep. Thanks, bud. Absolutely. Military, yes. Citizenship, yeah. Yep, we tell the truth when we're on trial, right? We um, either are on trial or we show up for jury duty and we are sworn to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? Baptism, yeah, baptism. Yes, military, thanks, Gary. You know, I think that there are these oaths and vows that we make in our current society. And then there are also the promises that we make to each other. Like uh, when our kids swear they're going to have a great attitude if they could just get that thing at the store that they really want, right? Or they're going to be kind to their siblings and you know it's not true. Or when your employee says that they, are, they promise they're going to um, never be late to work again and you're like, uh, yeah, right. Your track record is not so great. Or when your neighbor says that they swear they're gonna start picking up after your dog, but 
or their dog, but your shoes tell you otherwise, right? Or when we swear to tell the truth, but we're giving someone our word because we want to kind of fake them out, even though we're about to lie to them. So I think that there are a lot of ways that we still uh, give this sense of oath, that we make a vow, make a promise. You know, spiritual teacher and author Richard Rohr says this. He says, a world of oaths swearing in and suing one another is founded on mistrust and personalism and lack of relationship, but that's an old world order. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, in this particular passage, we see Jesus showing up and he's saying, I am the new in that old world order. And I'm saying, we don't need to take oaths anymore. We just simply need to tell the truth and we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. But why would we want to tell the truth, right? Like, that's a fair question. Why would we want to? And I think that we would want to tell the truth because God is truth. And God is love. And the way that we love God is to tell the truth. And the way that we honor God is to tell the truth. And you know what else? The way we love ourselves is to tell the truth to ourselves. And the way we love each other, the way we honor each other, is to tell the truth to each other. So why would we want to tell the truth? Because it's this way of wisdom that Jesus is saying. It's this way of showing up in the world and loving God and loving ourselves and loving one another. I think that's why we would want to tell the truth. Now, most of us are not walking around making everybody uh, take oaths or make a promise or a vow, but you know what we are really good at? We're really good at making rules, right? Especially the grown-ups in the room who might work with younger generations, kids and, um, and teenagers. We're really good at making rules. And you know where rules come from? They come from this sense of distrust or mistrust that we don't have the capacity to model wisdom and the people that, who are around us don't have the capacity to respond with wisdom. And so rules are the way that we safeguard this idea in life that we're actually gonna tell the truth to each other. A couple of weeks ago, I traveled with my oldest son to um, a local university. He plays ice hockey. We were at this hockey rink and he walks into the locker room and I'm kind of hanging out on the edge of the rink, and I like to read the posters because I'm a nerd like that. I was a communications major in college, so I'm always curious, like, what's being communicated and why and how is it being communicated? And on the way into the locker room, there was this big poster, and it said, Rink Rules. And there were 18 rink rules. And behind each one of these rink rules, there was like all these sentences about what each rule meant. And I thought like, what teenager, what young adult actually stops and reads the 18 rink rules, right? But it's our safeguard, right? We want these young adults to show up with wisdom, right? We want them to show up with this code of conduct, that they know the right things to do in that place, that they honor one another, that they um, act appropriately. And so in order to safeguard that, we have a list of 18 rules. Now, rules aren't necessarily bad, but I think we need to ask ourselves, like, why are we making rules, right? 
I think it's helpful to actually acknowledge that there's this tension between rules and wisdom. Jesus gives us this way of wisdom and we wanna live that kind of life, but we're scared we might not actually live it, that we'll fall short, that we won't know what to do, or that everyone around us won't do the right thing. That everyone around us won't follow this code of conduct, and so we give these rules. This was a tension for us and our family. Um, our boys are now 16 and 18 in their junior and senior year of high school. We had a lot of rules when they were little, um, as most of us probably do if we have kids, little kids in our care. And our boys were just rule breakers. Like, you set a rule, they broke it. You know, I always joked that one of our kids, he would, if you were like, do not cross that line, he'd be like right up on the line, right? Um, and then we got some wisdom from a friend when our boys were in middle school, and he was like, yeah, yeah, just what, tell me, what are you guys about as a family? And I was like, well, what do you mean we're, what we're about as a family? And it's easy to rattle off the rules that we have as a family. And he's like, no, no, tell me what you're about. And so then we actually thought about it. Like, what are we about? And it's this tension between rules and wisdom. And so Matt and I sat down, we actually talked to our boys about it, and this is the list that we came up with. Like, we are a family about love, right? And it'd be really easy to create all sorts of rules around, like, do not hurt your brother. Like, do not be unkind to your parents. But we are a family of love. And we're a family of wholeheartedness, which, which means we're going to bring our full selves to each other. There's no hiding here. Right? We, we're going to uh, accept the mess, bless the mess. We're, we're going to be all, all in in this family. We're going to be about growth. So sometimes we're going to push each other. Sometimes we're going to hold each other accountable. But we're going to be about growth as a family. We're going to be about adventure as a family. There's no, there's no playing small, staying small. There's accepting where we all are. But we're going to be about adventure as a family. And we're going to be about teamwork Right? There's that old cliche, there's no I in team, but that's the truth. That is the truth. Like, there is no self-centeredness in teamwork. I mean, it's there, it shows up, you know? But if you commit to teamwork, the self-centeredness works its way out. Now, we are not perfect at keeping this list. My boys would tell you that. We're not perfect at keeping this list. And there have been times where we've had to back it up and create some rules or back it up and talk about, hey, how do we define love? How do we define wholeheartedness, right? Because we want it to be a family that was about rules, not wisdom. I mean, I'm sorry. We want it to be a family that was about wisdom, not rules. <laughs> Whew, glad I caught that. Um, and so we want our boys, when, they're, when they have a question, instead of thinking about a rule, we want them to stop and think, is this wise? Is this wise? Right? And I think that's why Jesus gives us this code of conduct in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount because he wants us to know that oaths, like the new way of, oaths are the old way, the new way is just simply telling the truth. That's how we can trust one another, that's how we can honor one another, that's how we can bring our best to our relationships with one another. And he wants us to know like we don't have to follow a set of rules if we're willing to follow the way of wisdom the way of wisdom. This is the good, from my perspective, this is really the big idea here. Um, that the good news of Jesus is that relationships trump rules. That our truth trumps any kind of oath or vow or promise that we could make to each other. Which sounds great, right? I could end there. 
But I'm a question asker, and I, and I think of two questions at this point. Uh, I think, well, what if we're in a situation where we have to take an oath or make a vow, right? That's just part of life. What if we have to do that? And I also think, like, what keeps us from telling the truth? And are we willing to be honest about that? So the first question, like, what if we are in a situation where we have to take an oath or make a vow? Well, guys, this is just part of our life in society, right? It's part of our cultural, our economical, our political, our judicial system that we belong to today. And we see this in the life of Jesus, too. We see Jesus being in places where he had to take an oath or make a vow, where he's respecting religious authority, and yet he doesn't allow this to keep him from pushing the boundaries of tradition with truth. With truth. So I think it's important to keep in mind, like, when we're required to take an oath or say a vow or sign our name to something, like, think about what are you actually saying yes to? What are you actually saying yes to? Right? When you make a marriage vow or a partnership vow, like, what are you actually saying yes to in that vow? When you sign your name to paperwork for a new house or a new car or a new job, like what are you actually saying yes to? Well, you're saying yes to a big financial commitment, right? But what are you actually saying yes to? You're saying yes to this is the way I'm going to live my life. Like you're making a vow to some degree. When we take an oath in court, or we participate in some kind of swearing in ceremony for a particular office, like, what are we actually saying yes to in those moments? That we will tell the truth, that we will uphold the law? It is a both and. We can take an oath, make a vow, make a promise, and we can follow the way of wisdom of Jesus. Which makes me think about the second question. What keeps us from telling the truth? Like, why do we actually say yes when we should be saying no? Right? And when we say no... Are there times where maybe we should actually be saying yes? What keeps our yeses from being real yeses and no's from being real no's? And I think this is really important for us to get at. Otherwise, we keep just doing the same thing, right? We keep taking oaths and making vows instead of telling the truth, instead of walking in the way of wisdom of Jesus. I'll tell you what it is for me. You know, sometimes I say yes when I should say no because I'm people-pleasing. I am afraid to disappoint someone. Uh, I feel anxious about drawing a boundary. You guys, I've done a lot of work in therapy over this, okay? But it is still sometimes a problem for me. It's still a problem. Sometimes I'm guilty of saying yes when I should be saying no uh, because I'm afraid of missing out on something really cool if I say no, right? FOMO, we have this fear of missing out. Uh, truth is, some of us say yes when we should say no or no when we should say yes because we are used to manipulating the truth. And simply telling the truth doesn't allow any room for us to manipulate the situation or the relationship or the truth. And so that keeps us from a, from a hearty yes and a hearty no. 
Uh, here's the one that I probably, besides people pleasing, this is a big struggle for me. I'm an overscheduler, a chronic overscheduler, and I'm working really hard at this. But there are seasons where I say yes to a lot of things because it makes me feel good. I'm excited to be invited into things. It makes me feel successful or whatever. It gives me um, connections to people I really love. Um, but then what happens is I have said so many yeses that I cannot possibly fall through or follow through with all of them. Uh, just last week, I had to call a friend in LA and be like, hey, I know I said yes to connecting with you a couple times on a regular basis. Every single time we have planned to connect in the next four weeks, I have something else on my calendar and I am so embarrassed and I tried rescheduling with her and the same thing would happen and so I finally just said, look, can we just time out? Can we just pause? Can I get my stuff together and then can we figure out a time that would be good for us to connect? Because you really are a priority and I really want to keep connecting with you. I'm just, my schedule is out of hand. It's my own fault. I had to say a lot of no's because I had said way too many yeses. But here's the deal, no's are not negative. And I think we all need to hear this, no's are not negative. No's actually create a really healthy boundary for us, right? No's are the way that we can honor ourselves. They're the ways that we can honor God sometimes. They're the ways that we can honor one another. No's are not negative. And we actually see Jesus doing this really well. There were times when Jesus uh, was tempted in the wilderness and he said some pretty big fat no's, right? Uh, there was the time Jesus fed the 5,000 and he said a pretty big yes. And regardless of whether you think the miracle of feeding the 5,000 was that Jesus actually miraculously provided food or the miracle was that everyone brought enough food to share, like Jesus said yes to feeding the 5,000 when that would have been an easy no. Like shut it down, there's no more food, people are tired, I'll finish what I have to say later. Right? There are times that we see Jesus taking time alone, saying yes to what he needs, which means he says no to what others need. Jesus delays healing a few people. And then he turns around and he heals on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, are like, no, like we don't heal on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus says yes, because relationship trumps everything else for Jesus. And so here we are in this Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this is the way of wisdom, this code of conduct that I'm talking about in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the ways that we orient our lives in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is the ways that, these are the ways that we orient our lives when we're living the life of God in the life of us. And so we're gonna move into a time of reflection because I want you to really think about like, what are the yeses that you're saying right now and what are the noes that you're saying right now? I also think it's really helpful to um, reflect back on the Beatitudes. We're gonna back it up a little bit here with the slides in a moment. And I can't, can't help but wonder if we circled back to the blessings of the Beatitudes in the first part of Matthew 5, 
if the people who actually trust those blessings, who actually trust when Jesus says, like, the least of these actually have top priority, like, if you are poor, if you are mourning, if you are meek, like, that you actually have top priority in my kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the life of God lived in all of us, I actually think if we trust those blessings, they are the ones, we are the ones who figure this whole truth-telling thing out because we can see that Jesus is telling the truth and Jesus is inviting us into this way of wisdom. And part of this way of wisdom is letting our yeses be yes and our noes be no and telling the truth for the sake of relationship, for the sake of relationship with God, for the sake of relationship with ourselves, for the sake of relationship with other people. And so let's move into um, um, just a little bit of time of reflection. And you can, if you're a journaler, you feel free to pull out your journal and your pen or take notes on your phone or find a comfortable position um, and close your eyes. Let this be your prayer this morning. And we're just gonna um, work through some questions. And I'll read the questions out loud and then we'll pause for a little bit. And then we'll take a little inventory. And then we'll finish our time together. So your first question is, can you actually live in such a way that you tell the simple truth and that you're good to follow through on your word? Can you actually live in this way? I want you to just think about that, reflect on that for a moment. Your next question is, what keeps you from telling the truth? Be honest, right? If there's any morning to be honest, it's now, you guys. What keeps you from telling the truth, whether it's intentional or unintentional? Are you used to getting what you want by lying or manipulating? By not responding or not committing? Or are you anxious? Are you seeking to please? Are you overscheduled? What is it that keeps you from telling the truth? And then in what ways could you honor God, honor yourself, and honor others by telling the truth this week? How could you honor God, honor yourself, or honor others by telling the truth this week? Um, if open-ended questions are a little challenging for you this morning, and that's okay, sometimes they are for me too, Here's another way to, to answer this question. Why don't you take an inventory of your yeses and nos lately? Think about the past few days. Like what have you said yes to? What have you said no to? Are those yeses uh, things that you actually should have said yes to? Or are there some things on that list that maybe you should have said no to? 
And how about your nose? Are there some no's that you said when deep in your spirit, that intuitive wisdom of God's life lived in you, uh, gave you the sense that you actually should have said yes, and that saying no was maybe your way of playing small in the world? Or opting out on something that you really wanted to be a part of? What are your yeses and your noes? What do those look like? As you think about your yeses and your noes, and if you're looking at a list or it's a mental list for you, like what does that list say about you? About who or what you love? About who or what you honor? So here's the deal. As we come out of this time of reflection, as we think about our yeses and we think about our noes, Jesus was not one to mince words, right? And so when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, this code of conduct that I'm giving you, this, this new way, this fulfillment of the old way, this new way, this kingdom of heaven, the life of God lived in us, this is good news and we no longer need to take an oath. We just simply need to show up and tell the truth. And in doing so, this is how we love God, how we love ourselves, how we love people around us, how we lean into the wisdom of Jesus. And I think it's also why near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So South Bend City Church, will you stand to your feet if you're able? If you're new here, we typically close our time with a little bit of benediction and blessing. And so feel free to keep your eyes open or close your eyes, whatever works best for you. May we learn to be a community of truth tellers as our way of participating in the kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus is referring to. May we trust that God is a God of truth and that truth lives within us too. That that intuitive sense that we have deep down inside, that that's the life of God, the life of truth lived within us. May we let our words be true as a way to love God to love ourselves and to love others as a way to honor one another. May your yeses be yeses and your noes be no. And may grace and peace be with you. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.